This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach and educate you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Tonight, I want to share some of my accumulated wisdom. Believe me, I've been doing this thing for a long time because there are so many different things you need to balance in order to be a great investor that it can be hard to keep track of everything that you need to do. And a lot of this stuff is much more important than the day-to-day action in any particular session. Without the right discipline, the right framework, the right, dare I say, philosophy, well, you're going to get yourself into trouble. But I also know that big picture financial advice can be hard to process. A lot of it seems downright contradictory to most people. We tell you to have conviction, for instance, to stick with the companies you believe in. Then we say you need to be ready to change your mind on a dime when the facts change. You need to be cautious because it's so dangerous out there. But you also need to be ready to pounce on opportunities when they present themselves. You need to be skeptical. But you also need to know when to suspend your belief, your disbelief. You need to avoid chasing stocks that have run too much. But you also shouldn't care too much where a stock is coming from if you believe it's headed higher. You know the rules. It doesn't matter where a stock has come from. It's where it's headed to. Believe me, I get it. I get it. If you take all my rules literally, you're going to be running around in circles while tearing your hair out. I mean, how do you think I went bull? So tonight we're going to take a step back. Try to put all this discipline stuff into perspective. If you pick your own stocks, the thing you really need above everything else is good judgment. But obviously, good investing judgment is not the kind of thing anyone can teach you in an hour of television or even a year of television, for that matter. That's why I try to help you build good habits. I try to teach you better ways to think about individual stocks and the whole market. I try to give you the tools you need to develop your own judgment. All my best professors in college focused on teaching us, teaching us how to think, how to think not teaching us what to think. I've always tried to take my cue from them. I want to teach you how to be a better investor, not just tell you the stocks that I think are good investments. The problem is, that's a heck of a lot to process. So let's try to put it all in context. First and foremost, when you're managing your own money, before any other consideration, you need to know yourself. I've said this before, I'll keep saying it because it's so important. You simply can't know which stocks you should buy if you haven't taken the time to really consider what your own personal objectives are. And I can't decide them for you. Do you need to build up your wealth to ultimately make a major life-changing purchase like a home? Are you just trying to get a decent return as you save for retirement? Do you have money to burn that you're willing to take risk on more speculative propositions? Those are all different mindsets. The truth is, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to investing. And anybody who tells you differently is either dangerously misinformed or flat-out lying to you. Probably in order to sell you something. 
But far too often, people invest in the stock market with the simple, simple, poorly defined goal of making some money. Yeah, all we want to do, want to make money. Everybody wants to make money. But how quickly do you want that return? What are you willing to risk to get there? How much can you even afford to risk in the first place? These are really important questions that you need to ask yourself before you start trying to pick any given stock. Why? Because without a clearly defined goal, you have no way to determine which stocks you should be buying. In other words, your uh, 401k, your IRA, or brokerage account do not exist in a vacuum. If you're trying to save up for retirement, a stock like a Netflix might not be the most appropriate place for you to put your capital. On the other hand, if you already got a decent-sized nest egg set aside for retirement and you just want some capital appreciation, then Netflix... And the rest of its fast-growing fang cohorts, Facebook, Amazon, Google, now Alphabet, well, they all seem, let's just say they start to look a lot more attractive given that mindset. In short, before you can start making judgments about individual stocks, you need to figure out what your own internal yardstick is going to look like. That's the foundation of good investing judgment, knowing what you need so you can find stocks that are suitable to your particular needs. Let me put it another way. If you want to fly across the Pacific Ocean, you do it in an airplane, a ah, Boeing 747. You don't try to fly across the Pacific in a Ford Fiesta. Now, if you want to pick up your, your kids from school, taxing down Main Street in a 747 would be, I'd say, uh, really impractical. In that situation, you'd be much better with that Ford Fiesta. How about if you're renovating your house so you need to go to Home Depot for a metric ton of lumber and tiles and paint and maybe some power tools to get the job done? The Ford Fiesta is probably too small. There's no way you're going to fit it in a 747 in that packed Home Depot parking lot. Ah, but a pickup truck would be perfect. This may sound simple, even downright obvious, but it's the same way with stocks. When you're saving for retirement, you want low-risk holdings that will give you a slow and steady return. For those of you who don't have time to research individual stocks, you can't really go wrong with a basic, low-cost S&P 500 index fund that tries to mimic the performance of the broader market. Look, I've recommended index funds endlessly here, and I'm going to keep doing it because they are phenomenal. At their best, they help democratize the incredible engine of wealth creation that is the U.S. stock market. America is a growing country that's very business-friendly compared to the rest of the world, uh, particularly the developed world. And when you buy an S&P 500 index fund, you're basically betting on the long-term performance of the U.S. economy. You're, you know what you're betting on? You're betting on progress. Historically, that's been a very good bet. That's why I always say that you need to invest your first $10,000 in an index fund. Don't bother to try pick individual stocks until you have more money than that. Again, first $10,000, index fund. Now, if you're looking to make slow and steady money over a period of decades, that's a, a retirement investment really in a nutshell, isn't it? You might also consider certain kinds of individual stocks, especially consistent steady eddy companies with big dividends because of compounding. A 4% dividend yield may not sound all that spectacular, but even if the underlying stock goes nowhere, that 4% annual return will double your money in 18 years thanks to the magic of compounding. Of course, not every investor is simply trying to fund their retirement. And even if you are, that may not be the only thing you want to do with your savings. This is another important point. You can have multiple objectives. You can and should have multiple pools of money. I like to break things up into your retirement portfolio, where you need to be pretty cautious, and your discretionary may have money portfolio, the extra money that you're not going to need uh, in order to support yourself after late-stage capitalism has ground you down and you're no longer able to work. That discretion portfolio is where you can afford to take more risks in order to generate faster profits. Make sense? But, mighty big but here, for the vast majority of people, your discretionary portfolio is going to be much less important than your retirement portfolio. Because it's not just retirement. If you want to pay for a house, 
want to send your kids to college, you should take a more conservative approach to managing that money. Whatever kind of account you put it in, your strategy for college tuition savings or future house savings should look more like your retirement portfolio than that mad money portfolio. So please get to know yourself before you jump down the rabbit hole of getting to know individual companies. Bottom line, trust me, I get it. When you get excited about a particular stock, you often want to dive right in. I've been there before. First, though, you need to consider what you're trying to get out of the market. The answer to that question is not going to be the same for everyone, but everything else stems from it. You can't make judgments about stocks until you know what characteristics you actually value. Let's go to Paul in Texas. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Paul. I've noticed that companies, a lot of them will exceed on one and miss on the other in reference to revenue and earnings per share. So as a shareholder in the companies I'm looking for, if they're going to exceed one and miss one, would it be more important for them to exceed on revenue or would it be more important for them to exceed on earnings per share? Holy cow, what a great question. You know what? Because uh, I've actually done a huge amount of research on this. And thank you, Paul, for asking. It's revenue growth. We want to see pure revenue growth. That means that there's demand for the product. The actual earnings per share may be, in some cases, manufactured, literally, by tax rate, by buying stock back, but you can't rejigger sales. Okay, know thyself. Always consider what you're trying to get out of the market before you dive into a stock. Oh, man, money tonight. Yoga won't help you with the type flexibility I'm talking about. I'll reveal the backbends you should be doing to get your portfolio in order. Then feeling verklempt about your stock picks? I'll tell you why it's time to snap out of it. And how the late, great Maya Angelou, Maya Angelou, offered some of the best investing advice I've ever heard. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. Regular viewers know I've got a lot of rules. The result of more than 30 years in the money management business. First as a broker, then as a hedge fund manager, then as a journalist and a commentator. I've got rules for investing, rules for trading, rules for what to do in a rally or a sell-off, for picking winners, for avoiding losers. That can be a lot to take in. But as I mentioned before, the point of all these rules is to help you learn from my mistakes and develop your own judgment. I just explained why you need to have a clear understanding of your own objectives before you start buying stocks, something more focused than merely trying to make some money. So let's pretend you've already done some self-reflection and you know what you're trying to accomplish. Now you can start buying individual stocks, enough to fill out a diversified portfolio of five to ten names, right? Hold up. Before you buy anything... I need you to do one more thing. 
First, you have to do the homework. Now, I've covered this before. I'm going to give you a quick version right now. If you're going to invest enough money in a company for it to matter to your portfolio, you need to know what the heck the company does. You need to know how it makes its money and how much money it makes. The Internet has made this whole process much easier. Certainly when I first started the show, holy cow, this is now a delight. I mean, you can go online, read the SEC filings, which contain a wealth of information. You can listen to or read the transcripts of the conference calls, which I regard as the best way to get familiar with the business and the key metrics that will drive its stock. Feel free to read some journalism on top of that. Listen to some opinions, anything to familiarize yourself with both company itself and the way its stock trades. And of course, I've written, I don't know, half a dozen books just about this topic, okay, about how to do the homework. But the actual research is just part of doing the homework. After you've learned what you can and developed a thesis, a theory about why you think the stock is headed higher, there's one final step. You have to explain that theory to another living, breathing human being. It doesn't even have to be a professional. You can talk to your mom, your kids, a friend. The important thing here is that you put your thesis into words, that maybe you can basically comprehend it yourself. Lay out why you want to buy this thing and why you think it's headed higher. If there are major holes in your theory or you're you're relying on wishful thinking, usually a reasonable adult or even a mature teenager will be able to catch that. Once you've done that, though, then you are ready to pull the trigger. For those of you who are tuning me out because you can't stand to hear another word about homework, I'm done. That's it. That's all I'll say about that process of preparing to buy a stock, because tonight I'm trying to focus on the bigger picture. So let's fast forward a little. Once you've done the homework, you can build a diversified portfolio of five to ten individual stocks. Now, any more than ten, and you'll likely won't have time to keep up with them all. The idea here is that you should be able to do this in your spare time, not that you'll turn money management into a second or third job. Well, how can I have so many stocks for ActionAlertsPlus.com, which you can follow along, obviously, if you subscribe, because i got two research assistants. You're doing it yourself. So let's assume you own shares in a bunch of companies that you genuinely believe in. You now have a thesis for each one. There's no sector overlap, meaning you have five to ten companies in in distinct industries that don't tend to trade together diversification, like we play on the show. In short, you have what in theory is an ideal portfolio. What's the most important thing for you to keep in mind? Above and beyond everything else, you need to know that your perfect portfolio won't stay perfect for long. Those five to ten stocks you thought were winners? Yeah, unless you're absurdly lucky. Not all of them will stay winners. Some will be losers. Some will do nothing. And some of the companies that you liked best will inevitably disappoint you. What can I say? The game is full of heartbreak, which brings me to my next meta rule. Always, please, please try to stay flexible. You have to be flexible because business, by its very nature, is dynamic, not static. Things do change. Markets change. New competitors will enter an industry and undercut existing players on price to take market share. Previously well-run companies will start executing poorly, and we've seen that time and again. Customers cancel orders. Unforeseen events happen that hurt business or simply makes uh, some category of stocks seem less attractive to the big institutional money managers who dominate the market. When something like this occurs, when the story of a company that you own shares in changes, well, then you've got to be willing to acknowledge that things are different. If your thesis is no longer intact, if the reason you gave for buying a stock is no longer valid, then you should sell. This is why you need to explain your picks to another person so that you can recognize when your original idea has stopped being workable. That may sound straightforward, but for decades, so-called experts have peddled the idea that when you buy a stock, you need to be prepared to hold on to it until the (laughs) until the death of the universe. How many times have you heard someone say buy and hold, buy and hold? 
Well, I've got to tell you, that's nonsense. Don't get me wrong. I would love to buy a stock and hold it from here to eternity because the story pans out and the darn thing keeps going higher. But if the story doesn't pan out or after a long time, there are big changes in the industry. Well, you, you got to be willing to sell. Sell, sell, sell. At least sell some. That's why I always tell you it's buy and homework, not buy and hold. I just wish a lot of the graybeards would adopt buy and homework. We'd save people a lot of money. Now, I bring this up because people hate, hate, hate admitting when they're ma- they've made a mistake. And, of course, they hate selling anything because they're worried about taxes. But once we make up our minds that things are great for, say, Coca-Cola, we don't want the facts to get in the good way of a good story, right? But you know what? You can't afford to fall in love with a stock. When you buy shares in a publicly traded company, you're not joining that stock in holy matrimony. You don't swear to stick with it in sickness and health for richer or poorer. You don't need to go to a judge to get a divorce. It's just a piece of paper. So acknowledge when something's changed. If you buy a stock because you believe the underlying company is going to take a ton of market share and then it fails to do so, well, don't move the goalposts on yourself. Don't search for new reasons to hang on. Just get out of there. You must be willing to recognize that companies can take a turn for the worse. Managements make mistakes. CEOs make bad strategic and tactical errors every day. Heck, look, let's pick one. Let's pick Bed Bath & Beyond. You may know that one. It literally spent $5.4 billion buying its own stock back from 2013 to 2017, uh, through 2017. And it was a no-fade attempt to boost the earnings per share by shrinking the denominator, so, so to speak, and therefore take its stock price up. But it didn't really work. The company kept losing market share to online competitors like Amazon, and the buyback accomplished next to nothing. By the summer of 2018, Bed Bath had a market capitalization of less than $2.7 billion. They spend twice that amount on the buyback. If they simply put that money in a mattress, the company would now be worth twice as much. You know what their mistake was? The guys running Bed Bath & Beyond, were, they weren't flexible. They kept buying back their own stock in the mistaken belief it would help. Don't make the same error. When something goes wrong with the company you own, be ready to stop hoping and start selling. Listen, being unwilling to recognize a term for the worse, as bad as it might be, almost always seems to lead to much larger losses than you've already accrued. The bottom line, let's bring it all together. Before you buy a stock, do some homework and come up with a thesis, a reason why you think that stock is headed higher. Once you own it, please stay flexible. If your thesis doesn't play out the way you expected it to, sell the darn stock. Don't keep bashing your head against the wall. Just recognize that things don't always go your way. And then sell, sell, sell. Move on. Liam in Massachusetts. Liam. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Liam. Hey, I just had a quick question about index funds. Sure. You say with uh, certain stocks, buy them at certain times, like monthly or quarterly or when at a good price. Does that apply to index funds? Because you say to purchase $10,000. Yes, but remember, what I'm really trying to do is make it so that you don't necessarily uh, come in all at once. A lot of people just put the money to work. I actually like to space things out. Maybe try to catch uh, when you get a real downturn. uh, If you put all your money in before, then you can't take advantage of it. That's why I like to be flexible. Mike in Texas. Mike. Yeah, hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Jim, um, I'd like to own some individual names in the tech uh, space. Okay. Um, but I'm finding that the prices of these stocks are just too expensive. So I've started looking at some ETFs and some mutual funds in the, as an affordable way to gain some exposure to these names. 
And I'd really like to hear what you what your thoughts are uh, on the matter. What do well, you think? Well, one of the things that I don't like about the mutual fund industry is they don't update what they really own. So they may be buying the same stocks that you think are too pricey. When it comes to an ETF, that's just actually all you're doing is homogenizing the same deal. So you either have to decide that the market's too rich or that group is too rich and therefore not to buy. Or, of course, you just say, you know what, I'm going to take a long term view and I'm not going to game it. Uh, and maybe don't buy all at once, but space out your buys. Matthew in Arizona. Matthew. Hey, Jim. This is Matt. How's it going? I am doing well. How about you, Matt? I'm doing good. Couldn't be better. Hey, I got a, a thing for you. Is it a good idea to invest in the government? If so, should it be a short-term investment or a long-term investment? Well, look, I mean, cash is short-term investments. Longer term, you may just want to be able to take advantage of some higher rates and get in there and use the power of compounding. I think the conservative investor uh, who is older should be thinking about Treasury. Some young person, and you do sound young, they don't fit. You need to take on more risk, not less. You've got your whole life to make up that money if you do lose it. Before you own a stock, come over to the thesis on why you think it's headed higher. And once you own it, please stay flexible. Much more mad money ahead. There's not crying in it. There's not crying in investing. I'm telling you why it's time to take emotions out of it when it comes to picking stocks. Then how the acclaimed poet Maya Angelou gave me some of the best investing advice I've ever heard. And I say there's always a bull market somewhere every, every night, right? And tonight, I'm telling you where to find it. So stick with Kramer. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com slash apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com slash apps. Tonight we're zooming out and talking about the big picture. The stuff you absolutely have to do if you want to manage your own money in the stock market. Before I get back into it, let me just say that if you don't feel like reflecting on what you need from the stock market, if you don't want to do the homework, if you don't want to watch the underlying companies and get uh, and give up on their stocks when something goes wrong, nobody's forcing you to do that. There is no gun to your head. It's okay if stock picking is not for you. And that's why Vanguard invented index funds. It's why the Dutch invented bonds, for heaven's sake. You got plenty of other investment options. So if you're going to play the stock market, and I use the word play pretty loosely, if you're going to invest in it, all right, uh, then you should put in the effort to do it right, don't you think? I think stocks are the greatest engine of wealth creation in history. And you can harness that engine, make it work for you, if you know what you're doing. All right. Now, a lot of this comes down to discipline, the stuff I've been talking about all night. But there's another ultra important component here. Call it the emotional side of the equation. You need the right attitude toward the market, because without the right attitude, stocks will break you. I mean, this is a brutal game and you need to make sure you got the right headspace if you're going to play it. I cannot stress this enough. For many of you, managing your emotions will be the hardest part of investing. Harder than even picking winners. Harder than identifying new trends. Harder than knowing when to cut your losses. Why? Because the market is a harsh... 
CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.